Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I was talking to Kylie the other day, Manu, um, just after the Champions League draw. Um, and you know they got Chelsea. Wow, a little good Chelsea. Yeah. Mm. She said it was easy. She said it was light work. <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried at all. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's tough. Tough, tough, tough. Yeah. Anyway, sure. you'll you'll be fine, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Start preparing now. <laughs> Start preparing now, exactly. Anyway, joining me, Emu Court, on today's One Football Podcast is Manu Dominguez. Hi, Ian. Hi, everyone. Now, Manu, listeners, you know very, very well by now, he's almost boring to you. But to jazz it up a little bit, we've got an actual living breathing real life professional footballer with us it's Kylie Strom from Atletico Madrid Femenino hey Kylie hey guys how's it going uh super excited to have you on uh I'm sure you'll be able to give us all of the perspective all of this Champions League perspective from a Champions League player which is quite cool uh so remember it's Mondays for the Premier League podcast with Dan Burke it's Wednesdays for the women's football podcast with Angelina Kelly and of course Thursdays for the world one with myself uh the feed remains the same so so too does the email address if you want to get in touch ask any questions send any comments anything like that it's podcast at onefootball.com so the Champions League is back we had four games Leipzig v Liverpool PSG Barca Sevilla Dortmund Porto Juventus uh let's start at the Camp Nou and uh, Manu I want to start this off with a pretty bold pretty controversial opinion I think this Kylian Mbappe player is actually a pretty good player what do you think? Yeah I think that he knows how to play this game yeah. <laughs> um, He was pretty special wasn't he? Yeah I mean his first hat-trick in Champions League in Camp Nou against Lionel Messi I mean who could expect I mean, of course he was dreaming about, about to have this first hat-trick in one stadium like, like Camp Nou yeah. When was the last time you saw somebody go to Camp Nou and uh, dominate Barca like that? Uh, well, actually, in the last years, we have seen uh, quite often, maybe I can know, but that's true that Barcelona has been beaten for, for the best teams in Europe in the last years, like quite hard. Uh, let us just remember Anfield, Rome, uh, Turin. But also this year, Juventus won 0-3 in the group phase. Barcelona is not in a good, in a good shape. And even I don't think so that it's in a good psychological moment after all of these defeats. But actually, to remind that individual performance like Mbappé did, against Barcelona on Tuesday is, is actually hard to say. I remember I was with, with, my, with my colleague, Phil Costa, and he, he asked me after the match, Manuel, do you remember who was the last player who scored a hat-trick in, in Camp Nou during the Champions League? And to my mind came Andrei Svechenko when he was in Dinamo mm. de Kif, and actually he was. He was the last one who scored three goals in, in Champions League against Barcelona. That was a long time ago, too. Yeah, the end of, of 90, so more than yeah. 20 years ago. Mbappe is now the third highest scorer in PSG history with 111 goals. How old is he again? 22? Yeah, 22, I guess. 21, 22. And it's uh, insane. Uh, so the big question then is, did we, did we witness a changing of the guard between him and Messi? That's what everybody seems to be talking about after the game. Wow. That's probably the hard question that you could do it to me. You know that I'm Messi lover. But yeah, one day one day should arrive, that moment that, you know, Messi's not the number one and another player come should should come behind. I don't know if it's gonna be Mbappé, 
but yeah, he showed against Barcelona, he showed against Messi on Tuesday, that he's going to be one of the two, three players that they are knocking the door and say, hi, Leo, I'm here. <laughs> uh, Kyle, you obviously play in defence, so you know uh, much more about this than we could ever know. Um, how do you stop somebody like Mbappe? Can you stop somebody like Mbappe? I mean, honestly, you don't. You know, like, <laughs> the, the only way to really stop him is your game plan needs to be don't let him get the ball. And obviously, he's going to get the ball. He's going to find spaces. But you kind of want to have him be uncomfortable, you know, make him drop back to spaces where he doesn't want to get the ball. Further away from your goal, the better. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he's his performance was unreal. I think it's one of those performances where – you're all you, you, we're always going to remember that you know like oh, i remember mbappe at camp new mm-hmm. that's it, it, it was such a special moment for him to to step up especially without neymar so oh you, you yeah and you reckon it was on that level like that sort of uh, trying to think what else would be as as big a deal uh but you reckon it's on that level when people look back and go this was M- when mbappe really announced himself i mean i say this even I, though he's a world cup winner which is ridiculous but <laughs> Right. No, I mean, he had his moment at, at the World Cup for sure. And then I think, yeah, for for club, I think this is was a really big moment for him. Uh, Manu, was this a really big moment for Real Madrid? <laughs> yeah, I think that they've got to have their eyes on Mbappe, right? Yeah, I mean, they used to have the eyes on everyone who is uh, beating Barcelona. So they did with Mourinho when Mourinho was in Inter. So probably now they're going to be speaking about Mbappé the next three, four, five months. Yeah, we will see what happens. But for sure, Mbappé was already like kind of idol for Real Madrid fans even if he was not playing for Real Madrid yeah from from Tuesday you know I'm gonna see like super Real Madrid supporter with Mbappé t-shirt even if they is playing in, in Paris uh, Mbappé obviously the star of the show anybody else stand out for you in, in PSG colors Mm, yeah, I would say I would go for both. I think that PSG in general did an amazing performance because they have an amazing coach. Pochettino is an incredible coach and mm. in, in an important match, how it was this one on, on Tuesday. But for example, I would like to mention uh, Paredes, not because he's Argentinian, that, you know, actually is my market too, but also because I think that Paredes did a really good job if you compare it, for example, with Sergio Busquets, that actually was the other number five, oh. but also, also Marco Berratti. I mean... Someone who loves football should love Marco Berratti. And especially when he has the option to play not as number five, a little bit uh, forward, he was connecting really well with, with Moses King, with Icardi, with, with Mbappé. And for me, actually, Berratti was, was the key. I must say that my favorite player in, in Paris is always Neymar. But yeah, with no Neymar, Berratti and, and Mbappé, they did like an insane performance and they already put PSG in the next round. Uh, I'm going to confess something here and maybe Kylie uh, you might have a different opinion to me I was never a fan of Verratti I never really saw what he did I always thought he's you know at, at PSG I never found him to be you know the player that we all thought he could be uh, maybe that performance might change my mind I don't know I always thought he was a little bit overrated Kylie no <laughs> save me here yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm with Manu on this one. I, I really enjoyed uh, uh, Verratti's performance. Uh, we were all making jokes at training the next day, you know, like, oh, who's going to be Verratti today? Like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm a fan. I, I thought he did a really good game. Okay, I'm guessing you two are right, and I am completely wrong, so we might try to edit that bit out. Um, the For Barcelona, Manu, um, Koeman said afterwards they had some defensive problems in the second half. I think they probably had they probably had more problems than that, right? 
Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, Kuman could say that they have problems during the whole match because Barcelona was not comfortable at all from the minute one till till the 90. For example, in the first 45 minutes, I found that Barcelona kind of shy. From the first time that Mbappé touched the ball, I think that Piqué, Sergio Busquets, Jordi Alba, they started to think, wow, it's going to be one of these nights, you know, one of these nights like Anfield or Rome, because they are better than us, they run more than us, they are stronger than us, and, and actually I don't think that it was only like defensive problems, that of course there there were some of them, with especially Serginho Des in this, in this uh, right area, but also with the ball, I didn't see Barcelona comfortable at all. I mean, Messi did not a really good match, he was playing two behind, really close to Sergio Busquets, and I'm always used to say, like you know, the number then the number ten should get the ball in the number ten position where you decide the matches. And even if you are Lionel Messi and you are amazing and you can put that pass to to Frankie De Jong that at the end was the penalty, Lionel Messi shouldn't get the ball so so too far away from the from the goal. That's my opinion. And when this, when that happens, it's because Messi realizes, okay, my team is having problems to start with the possession, mm. so. I should go to help them. But actually, it's always because Barcelona is uncomfortable when Messi does that. And it was, for me, the first symptom. It happened in the first in the first 15, 20 minutes. And from that, Barcelona was not able to to really recover. And yeah, we, 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 we saw already what happened. Uh, Kylie, is your Spanish good enough to understand what Piqué and Griezmann were talking about in that interesting conversation? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those those were some of the first Spanish words I, I think <laughs> uh, Is that uh, again because you've got the inside here? Is that sort of typical on field uh, anger, or would you think that was just of of the moment? I mean, for me, I think you know whether what he was saying was true or not. I think on game day, it's it's us versus them. You know, you can't have us versus us. We're, you can't fight against each other because as soon as you see that from the other team, you're like, yes, like we're, we're in their heads. They're fighting. They're crumbling. Like this is our game. Like it, it gives the other team confidence when you see the other team, you know, struggling within themselves. So I, I think those conversations can happen a lot. You know, obviously it's, they want to win, you know, mm-hmm. and they hold themselves to high standards. So those conversations can happen, but I think that needs to be saved either for, you know, the training grounds or the, the locker room, because to have that happen in, in a, in, in a game day situation like that is just not, not a good look for me. Especially when there's no fans around to drown that out. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, everybody hears it. Everybody knows. And I mean, even you could see from Barcelona, it, he almost didn't even need to say that PK you could just see from their body language you know the way you know when they lose the ball you, you see their head go up in the air you know their hands go out so it's it almost didn't even need to be said when you don't feel the support from your teammates you can just see the the internal struggles Barca is having this year and it, and it shows in their play uh, Manu what's the reaction being to defeat in Spain? Yeah, actually, the newspapers, they were all of them talking about Mbappé because, you know, like okay. in Spain used to be like white or black or in the, that case, Real Madrid or Barcelona. So they just connect Mbappé with with Galactic One, with Real Madrid. And and yeah, actually, just remembering all of the defeats that Barcelona has has had in the last years, probably talking about the last Messi uh, match in Champions League in, in Camp Nou with Barcelona's T-shirt, what actually sad. But especially, I mean, you know, at least in my opinion, you know, the reaction should be like, maybe we are, and, and I'm telling that as a Barcelona or La Liga supporter, but maybe we are overrated a little bit La, La Liga in the last years. 
mm. because not only what happened uh, between Barcelona and PSG. Then we are uh, after we are going to talk about yesterday match between Sevilla and Borussia Dortmund. Sevilla was probably the best team in La Liga in the last weeks with Atletico and actually Dortmund was stronger was like faster was with more intensity so I think in between Barcelona and PSG happened at the same and maybe it's because we get used to these La Liga matches with a rhythm a little bit slow uh, and yeah probably we overrate La Liga when we talk about other ones like Bundesliga or, or League One for example wow overrated my goodness um, three goals down one leg to go uh, Kylie any way back for Barcelona I mean never say never but <laughs> I'm saying way, never <laughs> <laughs> I don't know with PSG's performance um, they had so much energy you know it, it wasn't just Mbappe like their whole team just kind of you know you could say you could see that they were really really bought in to the way they wanted to play and you can't say even close to the same about Barcelona it was just kind of you know a bunch of individuals running out running around pointing fingers so I think it will be a very difficult way back for Barcelona Manu, same. Yeah, I totally agree with with Kyle. I think that it's not only the result that PSG won one four. It's like the the feeling, you know, the feeling that PSG was stronger. And why is gonna change that in three weeks or four weeks? I mean, never say never. But for me, I would say that it's not option at all that Barcelona not only could score four goals against PSG, but also don't concede, uh, doesn't concede any goal in in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. One last thing to say about this: Pochettino, of course, did it without Neymar and about uh, without Angel uh, Di Maria. That was pretty decent, I have to say. Uh, elsewhere, a, a pretty uh, tough couple of Premier League weeks for for Liverpool. They got back to winning ways in the Champions League, of course, against Leipzig. Uh, Kylie, you've played in both league and Champions League. Um, what's the difference? How how is it that you can just be good in one competition and then not not so much the other one? Yeah, it is. It is pretty crazy because obviously, you know, it's still football, right? <laughs> right, football, football. But um, yeah, it is. It is really a different feeling, and it is kind of hard to explain. But you know, you grow up as a kid. You're watching Champions League. You hear that anthem, and then when you walk in the stadium and hear that anthem, like it's it, it's a crazy feeling. And for me, I mean, I don't know about these players. Obviously, you know, they've probably been doing it for for a long, much longer than I have. But it, it really is a feeling that um, you can't explain. It is different. You know, league league games are obviously very important, too. And I wish I could say as a player I get, you know, equally as motivated for every game. But, you know, some games it's, you know, you get in, get out, get the points, that's that. And mm-hmm. then obviously there's games that you have more motivation for, you know, derbies, Champions League. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a completely different feeling. And it's it's almost like christmas you know so um wow so yeah, you you really enter both with a, a, almost a different feeling yeah yeah and i i wish i could replicate that feeling as a player you know it's something i'm very aware of mm. but you can't just pull that motivation out of out of a hat like it's yeah okay so it it's different than say going to uh, you know going to you know play chelsea in london is different than going to play say levante <laughs> i guess <laughs> It is. It is. You know, I I wish it wasn't, but it it really is a, a completely different feeling. Okay, so, so normally these these games, these sort of first legs, can be cautious affair. This one was was a bit of a thriller, no? As as a last sixteen first leg goes. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was interesting. It's an interesting round because 
you know, Leipzig really doesn't have a home game. This was technically their home game. And mm. they kind of played like they were at home. You know, they, they went for it, uh, which I respect a lot. They didn't sit back, um, which a lot of teams have had success with against Liverpool. So, yeah, they went three on three in the back and with, you know, Liverpool's attacking line. And unfortunately it didn't work out, but, and I think that's why it kind of created this thrilling match. But um, yeah, I I respected uh, Nagelsmann's decision to do that. Um, Can you pinpoint a difference for Liverpool against Leipzig? Like what might've been so, you know, what might've been so different? Yeah. I mean, Leipzig really couldn't handle Liverpool's pressure. Uh, Liverpool, you know, wanted their wanted Leipzig center backs to to play out, and unfortunately, Leipzig center backs couldn't couldn't really connect the pass. Um, they couldn't handle the pressure, and um, you know, they were just back to Liverpool ways, more aggressive, hungry. Every time they lost the ball they were going forward again. Every time they recovered the ball, it was one touch in behind the defense. And um, yeah, they just really couldn't couldn't handle it. Um, as a fellow defender, how do you feel when you see, you know, Klosterman and the like slip as they did in such key moments? Do you cringe inside or do you sort of feel, oh, well, that's, that's how it goes? I mean, I think we've all been there at some point. You know, we've <laughs> all made mistakes. It's so unfortunate as a defender because... You know, everybody else on the field can make mistakes. You know, they can give away the ball, they can slip, fall, whatever. And you're like, oh, no, don't worry. Like, my defender's got my back. But as a defender, like, as soon as that moment happens, you're just like, time freezes. You're just like, you know right away that it's going to be bad. Um, But yeah, there was so much more than just a slip for me. Like, a lot of people are calling it, you know, gifts for Liverpool. But Mm -hmm. I think they were earned gifts like the reason that you know they made that bad pass back to to Klosterman like it was because Leipzig was so uncomfortable with Liverpool's pressure so every time Liverpool they just knew that Liverpool was breathing down their neck you know he goes to clear the ball and it's a simple thing he knows he knows that he can't let it bounce and it's a very routine clearance but you know, he just wasn't confident, misses the ball, and you know that's that. And Mane and Salah were uh, clinical in their in their finishes. Do you have a particular favorite mistake of yours that you wanted to share with us? <laughs> yeah, I had a really bad one this season, actually. Oh, so um, yeah, we were playing Betis, which is having they're not having the greatest year. So we were like, you know, pretty comfortable going into it, and for some reason. Don't ask me why. I came into the middle of the field and tried to like turn in the middle of the field. And obviously the player just strips me and like scores a banger. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's all my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully we came back at 1-4-1. So all was good. But like, I'll never forget it. Oh, it was brutal. Um, if Jurgen gets on the phone to you and asks you for some advice for the rest of this season, would you tell him to to forget about the league and and go all out for the Champions League? Yeah, I mean, obviously they conceded the title, um, and you know, it's, you never want to do that. But I think at this point, it would be 
go for Champions League. You want to win something. You know, you're Liverpool. You're all about the trophies. So, yeah, I'm saying you can't completely forget about the, the league, of course. You still need to, you know, get those Champions League spots, which just seems absurd that, you know, with Liverpool's quality that that's even in question. But, yeah, I say all out for Champions League all for out. sure. Uh, what did you make of uh, Ozan Kabak, who made his first start for the club? I was so, so impressed with oh, yeah? him. Oh, um, yeah? Yeah, I was really, really happy with his performance. Um, you know, you can see Liverpool had, I think, 16 different pairings as centre-backs this year, which is just insane. And, you know, big kudos to, to Henderson playing out of position because I think at this level it's extremely, extremely difficult. Um, but, yeah, you see Kabak come in um, and brings that different, mentality like he brings a center back mentality we've seen you know Fabino Fabinho in that role and he gave up the the penalty against Sterling where he just kind of you know sticks his leg back which is what a center mid does in the middle of the field mm-hmm. and gets away with it <laughs> exactly but you don't see Kabak making them those mistakes you know he comes in really nothing went down his side you see balls getting played in behind Henderson and stuff but still Kabak was always there for cover so you know for his first start um, you know I think it's it's just going to keep going up from there and I think that's going to be really important It's an interesting point you raise about Henderson maybe as fans we don't necessarily consider how hard it is to move from one position to the other and what a, a completely different skill set I imagine it is to go from even go from full back to centre back or from centre midfield move back to centre back but it is a real difference Oh it's it's extremely difficult from not only like a skill set perspective but from a mentality perspective you know like I said you can't make those tackles that you usually can. You have to be really change uh, completely as a player. Um, so I've been really honestly so impressed with, with Henderson Fabinho back there. But I mean, when you're playing against the greatest teams, the, the best forwards in the world, it, you know, you, you need a center back, a real, real center back. Um, Leipzig needs to go to Anfield, of course, two goals down. Is this one done for you too? Again, never say never, but um, <laughs> especially with Liverpool at this point, you know, some days you just really never know what you're going to get. They've been super inconsistent. And unfortunately, Anfield isn't this, you know, fortress like it has been. They've dropped a lot of points there recently. But yeah, I think I think Liverpool is still going to go through comfortably. Manuel Leipzig or Liverpool? Yeah, with zero two, I'm I'm agree with with all of you. I think that Liverpool is going to go through. Okay. Elsewhere, last night saw uh, Erling Haaland reach ten Champions League goals in just seven appearances for Borussia Dortmund, uh, the quickest of players ever reached ten goals for a team in the competition. Um, now, if the two of you had a choice between Haaland and Mbappe, who are you going for? Manu, you want to go first? Yeah, I will go for Haaland. What? Because, yeah, just because we were talking a lot from about Mbappé before, so why not? No, actually, it's because <laughs> I really love, I really love his, that lad. I really love Alan. I I like not only how he he plays, but especially how he he behaves after the match in the press conference. He just okay. He he he, he looks like that. He's a machine. I mean, I'm here. I want to win. I want to score goals. That's it. And and yeah, I don't know. I have I. I think that there is something especially special on both of them, of course. Uh, both of them, they are incredible. Actually, 
if you check the the rate per minute goal that Haaland has in Champions League, is almost two goals per match because he scored one goal every 50 minutes or 55 minutes. It's insane. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, as I say, I mean, I really like from, uh, from Haaland that he's able to shoot with the right and uh, his left foot. He's really, really fast, even if he's, I don't know, one meter 93 or 94. Yeah, I mean... Why not? Mbappé probably he's going to end in Real Madrid, so I would go for Haaland. <laughs> uh, Kylie, Haaland or Mbappé, who, who are you going for? I mean, I definitely agree uh, with Manu. I think you described uh, Haaland perfectly. He is a machine, but I'm still going to go with Mbappé. Um, I think the things he he's just a magician on the ball. Like some of the things I'm like, I, I genuinely don't understand how you do it. He's taking three players on with with that much confidence like we said before he's un unstoppable so yeah um i mean i would take either happily but <laughs> mbappe I'm, I, I'm, I'm surprised this was even a thing i i would have put mbappe ahead of haaland by by a, a country mile but you know maybe again maybe so, I, could, I could be wrong on this one i mean actually i expected at least your answer ian mm -hmm. i didn't know what what i were invited she was gonna say but i wanted to have like this debate you know like oh yeah actually, actually i think that uh, as can say that mbappe is like more magician he has like more in my opinion more things to offer because I don't see Haaland playing far away from the goal for example even if yesterday I mean the assist he just started the, the, the action like really far away from the goal and then he provided the pass to Mahoud mm -hmm. but then even the second the, his first goal it was like a really good combination from kind of far away but you know Mbappe gives you a lot of options because he gets the ball with two or three defenders uh, in front of him and he's able to to, to dribble all of them and actually I don't think so that Haaland has this technically this, this so special technical that, that, that Mbappe has but I don't know I mean I like his mentality I like Haaland's mentality I think that he's special I mean yeah I mean I'm probably being harsh by saying Mbappe is a country mile ahead of him but uh, it's just I feel like Mbappe has a has maybe like a, a, a calmness to him which is uh, for his age is insane um, and that's sort of he doesn't he doesn't seem to get phase bending like he's scoring hat tricks at the Camp Nou and he he seems very calm about it all that to me was amazing uh, and, and that, that goes along with his skills of course which are obvious yeah, and don't forget that he has already a World Cup but it's Mm. It's a lot. Yeah, I don't even want to tell you what I was doing at his age. I definitely wasn't winning world. I definitely wasn't winning world cups or anything like it. Um, people are already talking about a new rivalry between these two, but I don't think this is. Is this going to be another messy Ronaldo sort of toxic fan base sort of thing? Anybody? Mm. Uh, it's going to depend. Actually, I mean, the Messi Ronaldo thing. I think that. It was also... That was more of a press thing, wasn't it? I think Messi and Ronaldo sort of seem to, don't seem to hate each other, let's say. No, I don't think so that they hate each other. But at the end, when you are playing one for Barcelona and the other one from for Real Madrid, these things used to happen because they are like, the, even the media, even the press, even the, 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 the football fans, they are like really against each other. So they cannot accept it. But as a players, even I don't think so that Mbappé and Haaland, they are going to reach the level that Messi and Ronaldo did. I think that they are going to be probably the best. Maybe Mbappé is going to win like two or three Ballon d'Ors. Maybe Mbappé Haaland he can win one ballon d'or too but I mean Messi and Ronaldo is like for 12 years 13 years 14 years they are like a really with a really huge difference from, from the, the third or the fourth and we are talking about amazing players like Iniesta like Neymar like 
I don't know, Eden Hazard or Lewandowski, Falcao. I mean, they were like such amazing players in the last years. But Messi and Ronaldo, 50 goals per season is, is unbelievable. Interesting that you threw Falcao in there. I never, I never would have expected you to throw that in there. Anyway, uh, Sevilla not lost in nine games before this one, Manu. But Haaland took him down. Or was it only Haaland or was there more to it than that? Yeah, I mean, first half of Sevilla was, in my opinion, was really bad. But as I say before, I think that the expectations with Sevilla, they were so high because maybe we are overrating La Liga. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Actually, I... I have friends that they are telling me that like long time ago, but you know, to see Sevilla that against Barcelona, for example, was so strong and in general is being strong against every team play against uh, against Borussia Dortmund that in Bundesliga they are struggling quite a lot in the last weeks. And I see Sevilla, I see the Kunde, Fernando, Diego Carlos, uh, that they couldn't stop uh, Borussia Dortmund players. That the, the 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 intensity, the ring was was completely different. It was an issue during the the first 60, 70 minutes. That's true that they. Improve at the end. I think Sevilla has a really good, a really good team and a really good coach. But as I say, I think that the reason maybe is because the expectations with Sevilla that was so high. Um, La Liga is not having the best moment ever. We will see what happens next week with Real Madrid and Atletico. I'm really looking forward to seeing if if they are able to to compete a really good level or mm. it's going to happen the same like with Barcelona and, and Sevilla. Uh, La Liga is overrated, Manu uh, says. Manu, uh, Kylie, are you with him on that? I think that's a, a really interesting, um, a really interesting perspective to have. Um, one of my favorite matchups, I think, is between Spanish football teams and German football teams. You know, from after I've been playing in different countries, mm. I think it's super interesting to compare the different styles of play. And I think the contrast between Spanish football and German football doesn't get much opposite um you know spain's very you know tranquila tranquila you know no pasa nada and then germans like you know go 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 like transition like chalkboard textbook stuff so um yeah i mean the fact that you know dortmund's not having the best season themselves and then really kind of you know put Sevilla you know not even on the same field so yeah it's an interesting thought for sure um, I, I'm not I, I just want to I just want to add I'm not yeah, saying actually La, La Liga has a bad level because of course not but everyone talks about La Liga it's like okay Premier League or La Liga and you don't speak about Bundesliga in that kind of competition and in my opinion maybe it's like that La Liga is not so good it's, a, it's amazing because you have Real Madrid you have Barcelona but if you see this season or you see last season for example in the semifinals they were not uh, uh, Spanish uh, Spanish teams three years ago you had only Barcelona because yeah, uh, Messi and Luis Suarez at the end they made the difference but it's what they say I think that the new football it's more in that German perspective that that you are saying that it's more pace 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 speed 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 let us go for, for the match and I think that Spain needs to make a change then everything can happen because we just can't remember what happened in the match between Spain and Germany like four months ago that Spain won 6-1 I mean football is unex- it's unexpected you don't know what is going to happen but I think that this new football is far away from what we see in La Liga and when these La Liga teams they go to play uh, abroad against the biggest European football teams they suffer they suffer as, as we say as we see, as we saw yesterday and two days ago it's slightly off point but uh, it is would be interesting to get uh, who, who you both think is the best league in in Europe right now 
I would go for yeah. Premier League. Kind yeah, same. Premier yeah. League, really? Wow. Yeah. For me, I would have said Serie A. That would have been my my one. I. It feels like that the the quality there is slightly above, but that's. Yeah, maybe that's that's splitting hairs. Uh, Manu, uh, Sevilla's Estadio Deportivo this morning had the headline still alive. Would you be confident of Sevilla staging a comeback? That Luke de Jong goal was, help, will help them, I guess. I think so. I think so because uh, even if I was saying before that, okay, the La Liga is overrated or whatever, Borussia Dortmund has a quite a good match and what Borussia Dortmund has shown during the season is that they are struggling a lot and you can expect the best but also the worst so why not in the in the second match uh, Borussia Dortmund still struggling the defense because mm. Borussia Dortmund defense is probably not the best in, in Bundesliga and Sevilla has really good players to win why not 0-2 or 1-3 I mean I don't think so it's a really huge difference like for example Barcelona and, and PSG uh, finally this Luke de Jong goal it's, it, it, it could be a key and we will see what happens but with players like Engnesiri yeah it would be great if Ocampos could, could arrive but I don't think so he's, he's going to be fit to do that but yeah I think that that at least that uh, qualification match that, that this Sevilla Dortmund is still open for, for, for the second match Okay uh, lastly event Kylie, uh, what on earth was Benzacor trying to do? Yeah, I mean, he <laughs> just—I think he, the way Juventus came out, they just didn't. They kind of had like that big, big club mentality to me, you know, almost like you know we're Juventus, they're Porto, so you know we're going to win without really having to work for it, sort of thing, like relying on their talent. So they came out flat, um, but. Um, in Benticor's defense, like I was super impressed that he at least, even after that mistake, like he didn't. Sometimes after you make that mistake, you kind of hide, you know, make the simple passes after that. But after that, he seemed very unfazed. He was, you know, still getting the ball in difficult positions and trying to play out and, you know, just <laughs> playing risky things, and it did pay off. So. Yeah, he made a mistake, but um, I, I was impressed with his reaction to it. In in those situations, is it uh, is, is it him to blame, or would you would you be expecting sort of maybe better communication from Schne- from Chesney? Yeah, it, 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 uh, there's never it's never one person's fault. I've learned, you know, like mm-hmm. there's so many things that that could have gone better. Um, yeah, communication. Obviously, the pass wasn't great could have helped each other out a bit um so yeah but i mean they got scored on in the first couple minutes of the game scored on in the first couple minutes of the second half so i think that's more um about their their readiness and eagerness and i think they were kind of relying on the juventus name and talent instead of you know they're playing porto at home who's a workhorse so yeah i just don't think they were switched on mentally is is that a player's job or is that a manager's job to make sure that they're you know that you go out you know finely tuned and ready to go yeah i mean i think they should have known everybody should have been aware you know that's how porto's going to come out at home like i don't think that should have been a surprise and for it to happen once in the beginning of the game you know maybe you can say okay it happened we learned from it but then to have it uh, right after halftime, you know, it really makes me wonder what was said at halftime because if that wasn't, you know, a, a speaking point of no matter what, we start, mm-hmm. you know, like don't concede early, don't concede at all. Like mm-hmm. 
they clearly that, that didn't seem like it was addressed. Uh, I mean, from watching Juventus, it's clear that Pirlo's trying to coach your team into to being comfortable and playing the ball out from the back. Um, how difficult in that environment is it to do when you consider all of the pressure that's around Juventus? Yeah, it's it's super difficult. And yeah, as I mentioned a bit before, like I was I was impressed that Benfica even after that mistake still tried to do that. And I think they were able to do that because that comes from support from the coach and from the players that even if you do make a mistake, you're rewarding the right things. You know, like okay, he was trying to do the right thing. But the problem is when you just start hitting long balls and it works out and then you're rewarded, then you know, that's where you kind of lose players. So as long as they're trying to do the right thing and and playing out mistakes are going to happen for sure but as long as you're supported by your team and the coach um, yeah um, Danilo was talking afterwards he said uh, we gifted Porto to victory uh, it seems a bit harsh I, th- I, th- I thought Porto's performance was actually quite good <laughs> yeah I completely agree I think that's downplaying it for sure um, because uh, I thought Juventus looked really uninspiring until you know the last 15 minutes or so uh, Porto had so much energy, you know, played with a lot, a lot of pride. Um, unfortunately, I think they got a bit tired at the end, which I was worried about. I was wondering how long they could keep that press up for. But yeah, I think you have to give a lot of credit to, to Porto. Um, late call for a penalty. What did you make of it? For me, that's a pen. And, oh. you know, I'm a defender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was thinking it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a defender, so I usually give the benefit of the doubt to the defender, but I don't know. I mean, incredible, incredible touch by Ronaldo. You know, he's he's standing on one leg, cuts it back. So, of course, yes, he made a little bit of it. You know, he is starting to go down, but he, he saw he saw the contact coming. There's no way he was going to – the defender was going to stop in time. But, yes, he goes down – a little bit but he wasn't making nothing or like something out of nothing like there was something there for me and I think if there was no defender there his balance and strength he would have gotten to that touch and you know gotten the shot off so for me it, it, it should have been a pen I really hope they don't kick you out of the defenders union for supporting <laughs> for supporting an attacker <laughs> I know I know uh, you, then uh, a quick prediction for the second leg yeah um I mean, it was huge that Juventus got that goal, obviously, and they did show a bit more, it was a bit more promising from them, you know, when they had uh, Morata and Ramsey come on off the bench. So I think if they make those changes and, you know, clearly they're going to have to come out with a different attitude. So I think that's, I think that might be one of the most interesting games, the most interesting second legs. And you're going to give us a winner? Or is it too um, hard? I'm I'm gonna go with Juventus um, because I mean Porto at home is a different team. I think in 2015 Porto beat Bayern home like three one if I'm not mistaken, and then they go to Bayern and Pep plays the same exact team just to prove a point, and Bayern wins six <laughs> one. So, um, I could kind of see maybe not six one, but I could see a similar situation happening. Manu? 
Yeah, I agree with Kylie. I think that Porto it's a very different team when he's playing at home and when he's playing away. That's true that now the difference they are not so big because of the of the football fans. I think that it's gonna depend the the attitude as well because as as Kyle said, I think Juventus they were kind of confident because they are Juventus, they have Cristiano Ronaldo and they were going to win that match sooner or later. And the key is going to be this Federico Chiesa's goal, because if the, the match ends 2-0, 2-0, we know already in this knock-knockout uh, Champions League matches, how, what does it mean when you don't score away? But Federico Chiesa scored, and it's an amazing treasure for, for Juventus. And at the end, you know, you get a goal, 1-0, Porto need to attack because we want zero it's 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 out of the champions league and then with the space uh, you have uh, juventus has cristiano ronaldo paulo dybala kulsevsky morata so i i will go for for juventus that's lovely thanks very much guys you're welcome thank you Ian. Yeah, thank you thanks for having me Uh, I keep rubbing my eyes, but no, no matter how much I do it, Inter Milan are top of Serie A for the first time since the opening game of this season. Uh, we're not going to start there, though. We're going to start with uh, Spezia's 2-0 two, two win over Milan. Wow. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what the hell happened? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that that's what it's quite a, just one of those games almost and it's just unfortunate for Milan that it's came at a time when they were showing a few signs uh, last month that maybe like I know they lost to UV and Atalanta two really good teams but uh, that was after an amazing run and then to lose this one coming in uh, such a big game at the weekend which I'm sure we'll go on to but I honestly think it's just one of those kind of freak game bad days at the office for them like uh it was a famous one when Chizena got promoted and it was Latan's debut and it was supposed to be he's going to go there and get a hat-trick and announce himself to Serie A and Chizena beat them 2-0 and it was almost a bit like that. Like Milan, I think it's the first time in 18 months that they didn't even have a shot on target. Like all of their chances, or even half chances, they weren't even chances, were just set pieces and kind of tame headers like Romagnoli had I think Mandzukic mm. Hernandez they just they didn't offer a lot but that's also taking nothing away either from Spezia because they I don't think they really gave them a chance to play either they got in their face and they were aggressive and yeah Milan just kind of they started the game poorly and then from there they never really seemed to find a way back in but it's also one of them I don't think be like reading anything majorly into I think teams sometimes just have those games and Spezia you know they've done it against a lot of good teams this season who've maybe underestimated them so they they also deserve a lot of credit for that I think um, So you're not you're not overly worried about Milan losing to a, a mid-table side a, a decent let's say a decent mid-table side but a yeah, mid-table yeah. side you're well, just you're chalking it up to one of those just one of those things Yeah kind of I think yeah they've, they've showed us enough even though I'm still very sceptical that beyond their starting 11, I just don't think they've got the depth to kind of um, maybe get over the line and, and win the league this season. But that's probably something to look at in the summer. But yeah, I think they've showed us enough over the... Like, it's been a whole calendar year pretty much now that they've been... Mm. Absolutely well, that's amazing. true. It has been. Yeah, it has been about yeah, a year now, hasn't it? it? Was, yeah. I think December 2019 was actually the last time they lost a game away from home when uh, when they lost in Bergamo. So, I mean, yeah, they've, I think they've showed enough that you, you can't uh, be too harsh on them after just 
just one really bad day at the office, which is all it was, I think. Uh, talk us a little bit through uh, Spezia's season so far, because it is their debut season in Serie A. Uh, they've beaten Milan, like we said, they've beaten Napoli. They knocked Roma out of the cup. I mean, that's that's pretty special, no, for yeah. a debut season in Serie A? Exactly, yeah. And I think a lot of people thought, and myself included, actually thought that they would struggle because you saw that team, and I don't think they were a team that were really lighting up Serie B a whole lot last season. They've came up, no real household names in the team. There's not a lot of star power in that team. The mm-hmm. coach is just a young coach, still kind of feel he's only... It's his first season in Serie A. He's, he kind of got the Spezia job um, on the back of getting Trapani promoted um, to Serie B from Lega Pro, and then he didn't even hang around. Uh, the at Trapani, Spezia offered him the job. He went there and immediately got them promoted. So two back-to-back promotions for him. So I don't think people were expecting too much to miss. Certainly wasn't, especially when you saw the squad on paper. But yeah, they've just come up and been just fearless. It's it's been really fun to watch them. They've actually they've picked up more points against teams in the top half than they have in the bottom half. So it's just yeah, there's just kind of this exciting fearlessness to them, and they're they're not playing. I suppose their brand of football. It's not they're not like a new Atalanta or Sassuolo or anything like that. But they are they are. Uh, high tempo and they kind of force the opposition into mistakes and yeah, it's been working working brilliantly for them and they've even also picked up more points I think away from home than they have at home, their home form has been surprisingly poor apart from that uh, the win against Milan and that's without a crowd too which is also I, I think I'm quite disappointed for them, I know it's the same for every team in the world but that, that would have been, it would have been a really special season for them I think um, the first season up in Serie A and their fans can't really be there but and the yeah. team are definitely doing them proud um, I mean I, I was going to ask you who were the players you know if, if people went to look and watch their games this weekend who are the players to look out for but like you say there's no real star yeah. talent it's no. just a, a decent team that, that play together and combine well yeah because I think they're one of those teams you, you kind of look at it in other leagues too and you've got maybe like Freiburg in the Bundesliga or a Brighton in the Premier League if you kind of want to try find a comparison where they're just like a really well coached team without without any kind of star names. I mean, the most recognisable name for people that are probably follow Serie A would be Sapanara, who he's obviously was supposed to be kept one of the, the next big things at Milan. Mm. Uh, things haven't really worked out for him. He only came in on loan in January though, so they didn't even sign him in the summer and he um he was involved in quite a Naughty celebration for the for Spezia's first goal at the weekend. Actually, pulled Majore's shorts down and decided to start spanking him on live TV for whatever reason. But he's got previous for that kind of behaviour. I think from his Sampdoria days, so quite a character. But yeah, apart from apart from Sapanara, there's Enzola's had a really good season. I mean, nine goals for a team who've just been promoted. It's really good, but. Outside of that, you're maybe looking at Matteo Ricci, who didn't make the grade at Roma. Um, Pobega, who's on loan from Milan, who mm. looks a good prospect, but he's probably going to be one of those players who will have a good Serie A career outside of Milan. Um, probably won't be able to to dislodge any of the guys in that team out. But yeah, it's just a lot of these, a lot of these guys who just come together and just 
uh, Italianos getting the best out of them. Really, really fun. In in terms of football celebrations, the pulling the shorts down and spanking the arse is not it's not there in my top top celebrations. I'd have to say. No, definitely not. Syria, Syria has it's got some really amazing ones, and then weird. There was a time at Roma a few years ago when guys were uh, were getting their th- or their thumb and going uh, very close to a teammate's rear end in celebration. It was just bizarre. Oh yeah, I missed that one. Uh, yeah, that was Perotti did it to El Shirawi. I think Holivas did it to someone once as well. And you're just wondering what what is what is going on. But yeah, it always seems to be Roma. Actually, Roma are involved in. Because a lot of these, and Toddy obviously has his famous yeah. celebration as yeah, well. He, so yeah, more than a few. He had the, obviously, yeah, he had the one where they took the selfie mm-hmm. in the derby. He had the oh. one where he took over the camera, where he gave birth to the football. And yeah, you yeah, do, yeah. You could do a whole section, I suppose. Yeah, and his, him and his wild celebration. It's it's clear what Roma have really been working on over the years. <laughs> yeah, now, now that we the, think yeah. about it, exactly. This is why they're not training set pieces they're working on these elaborate celebrations uh, a bit like Lee Sharp back in the day uh, the, um, the, just a final word on Spezia they are so they're they're 13th in the table 24 points from 22 games but they're also ahead of, of fairly you know Serie A regulars like Udinese Fiorentina Torino Cagliari Parma like a, you know generally impressive season so well done there I would yeah. say. Um, now, as for Inter, were you impressed, Borek, that they went into the Lazio game knowing that Lazio had 15 points from their last 16 games and knowing that a win would take them top and yet they kept their calm? I wouldn't yeah. have expected it, but they did. Ah, because that's, yeah, exactly. It would be classic Inter of mm-hmm. oh, the last, what, 20, 30, maybe even 40 years yeah. in games like this where right now you go, now you go this is the game where you show, you prove you can go top of the league that you've got the got the mentality and the quality and then, because like you said Lazio, they've been they've not been as good as, as last season and they're still contending with the Champions League which maybe that's a distraction they didn't have last year when they had the amazing uh, season but yeah they've really been rejuvenated the last two months or so and Inter just went into that game and yeah played played them off the park I thought they were more than deserving winners and I think a lot of that is down to to Antonio Conte I don't think he would he would let um, letting the the old Inter mentality even come through that was one of the things he did when he first took over Inter have this a famous song that they play after the game all about how crazy the club are and how kind of almost poking fun at themselves a bit but he one of the first things he did when he came in was made sure that song does not get played anymore we disassociate ourselves with this kind of crazy Inter we are Conte's Inter and yeah that was that was the perfect kind of example of it against a, a really good team they went out and like we'd said earlier there's a massive game coming up for them this weekend and then yeah Lazio didn't really get close uh, it seems like the, the kind of the rumours that were swirling around Conte too have died down I wonder if that's helped yeah big time I think big. T- I think the only rumours that are kind of um, circling now around the club are whether ownership's going to change rather than mm. whether the coaching position is going to change that definitely seems to have I mean I thought at the time as well it was it was maybe a bit overblown and that he some of his complaints he was making about maybe not being backed hinting that he felt the club could have uh, 
publicly come out and defended him and the team a little more or that the club put too much pressure on him but I mean the club bought you Romelu Lukaku and Nicolo Barella and mm. he spent a lot of money to to keep him happy and give him the team that he wanted it seems sometimes that he just yeah he, uh, he almost makes these enemies in his own head to, <laughs> to just have something to to fight against and even if he has to do that internally then if that is what he's doing it's, it's working a treat again for him. but that's a classic managerial thing like loads of managers have done that over the years create yeah. this sort of you know they're against us mentality yeah, and siege, to get their, yeah. yeah that siege yeah. mentality to get themselves going uh, yeah. how important was that penalty call and how right or wrong was it I, I've watched it about a hundred times I'm still not sure yeah exactly I mean you could watch it I think I've watched it enough that I think it is a penalty. I think he does catch uh, Lotaro's like back leg, mm. but oh, yeah, you're right. Like even you wouldn't be a hundred percent sure on it, though, yeah, right? Ex- exactly. So, like, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to be too too critical one way or the other, or really, because I think it's just a really difficult decision to make for the referee both in real time and then even with the benefit of VAR. Yeah, it's just it's a really really tough call but then when they get it you just know that he's not going to miss it because I don't think he's missed a penalty um, mm-hmm. since he joined Inter he's 10 for 10 so it's uh, I was never in doubt when they got it but yeah it's it's just I, I would challenge anyone if they have a strong view on it to truly back it up I think it is the right decision um, for me but if someone wants to fight Wesley Hoot's corner then I'm not going to argue too strongly and 22 minutes in it was you know an important time kind of sort of calm any early nerves that Inter would have had too I'd imagine yeah definitely and then you've seen how they kind of responded after that Uh, Lukaku took over (laughs) wow it's going to be one of his best performances for Inter right yeah I think so um I think he's he just looked unstoppable. That run for the yeah, for the for Martinez the, goal was amazing. Yeah, and it was, he had he almost had no right to to knock the ball where he did and then get around and mm-hmm. and get to it. But he probably did look up and see that it was I don't know is he thirty three now thirty three year old maybe Marco Parolo and thought yeah I fancy my chance. <laughs> I certainly would have. Him, yeah, I really thought that was it was as complete almost as you're going to get as well I think I think he's the best number nine in Serie A at the moment by a strong distance and it probably is uh, one of his best I think the only other games I mean he's had this season he scored twice and he assisted two against Torino he was really good in both games against Benevento but you feel that a guy of his quality Mm. I mean those are games he probably should be whereas this one he was really good actually the the Champions League game against Gladbach, uh, the home one. Oh, that's the true. Two-two yeah. game as well. So I think if you factor in the opposition, then Gladbach and Lazio, he's really, really stepped up to the the plate in those ones. Because I think, not to be too harsh on Torino and Benevento, but uh, Lukaku is not the only striker who's <laughs> torn them to sheds <laughs> this season. So, uh, so Milan are second, Inter are first, and this weekend. By sheer coincidence, we have oh my. oh my, we have the Milan Derby, the Derby, the Derby della Maranina. Uh, I mean, perfect timing. <laughs> it couldn't be better. Uh, I'm trying to think when was the last time we had a Milan Derby of this proportion. It's got to be a while. Yeah, I think I had to go back ten years because 
in the last decade if, if there's never really been one when both teams are mm-hmm. kind of on the up something but yeah, yeah. Big, on the up at the up at the same time um, and there was one I think it was April 2011 when both teams were still very much in the, the title race about seven seven eight games to go and Pato scored for Milan inside about 60 oh. seconds they went on to win it 3-0 and then yeah they, they ended up running away with the league I think they won it with three games to spare down in Rome so but it, that was that was probably the last one you can think of where I mean Milan that season just looked like they weren't going to be stopped anyway and were kind of on the, the downturn after Mourinho had left mm. but I mean if they had won that derby then they were very much still in that title race but yeah, Pato. I always remember that. Just I'd, I'd barely sat down to watch the game, and he stuck the ball in the back of the net. He went on to score another one, and oh, what could have been for that man? Oh, you know? here, don't been. talk to me about Pato. He could have no, been no. amazing. Yeah. Do I did. He had a brilliant. I think it was against Real Madrid. He had a brilliant Champions yeah, League game at, before at the Bernabeu. Yeah, well, at the Bernabeu, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what could have been? I think is he at Inter Miami now? I think I, maybe I didn't. Maybe I read that wrong. I'll, I'll check know, it. I'll check it out at some stage. One of the uh, one of the most random players I think that you could think of that ever rocked up at Chelsea. That just mm-hmm. what was he was there four months, scored like one penalty, left again, and it was just like, oh, okay, that happened. Yeah. Oh, he he had yeah. a. Oh, it went so wrong, and it's yeah. so disappointing. He's at Orlando City. Orlando <laughs> City. Oh, oh God. Shame, 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 shame. But he's still only, he's still only thirty one. I know it's, it's <gasps> incredible because he did come back to Europe, didn't he? he? Had that was it Villarreal? He had a spell. Yeah, where, yeah, you're right. He was a Villarreal. Seemed, seemed, yeah, he, well, he didn't do too badly. But yeah, I just remember at Milan, it just always seemed to be his hamstrings, his body just seemed to kind of be growing, growing really quick for like. He, obviously he came to Milan when he was like 17 or something he was really young and obviously this massive step up and his yeah his, his hamstrings in particular they just didn't seem to be able to to cope with it it was a real shame because my god the guy could finish he could beat a wow. guy oh yeah, yeah, yeah. what a talent um, so Porig if you're if you're writing a preview for this and you're picking out the three talking points um, ahead of the game what are you thinking for it? Uh, I think the first one I think the one that everybody's going to concentrate on this week is Lukaku v's Latan mm. probably rightly so after the shenanigans like, bust up yeah, yeah <laughs> the bust last up one, what, two weeks ago <laughs> and then some uh, some local artist has actually painted it on the wall outside San Siro uh, this, earlier this week so it's clear that it's it's also it's also quite a big narrative um, even in the city so that'll be that'll be interesting if they, they even come in come into close contact with each other in the game. Uh, I think that it's going to be quite interesting if Salamakers starts because he's just one of those guys where I always look at Milan and think if they had somebody of real quality in his position. I think he's just one of those examples of guys that if you're going to win a Scudetto, I'm not sure having him in your squad. Is um is going to do it for you and coming in and relying on him in games like this? But I think Anti Rebic is back in training mm-hmm. this week. Maybe in contention if he starts, it could be a completely different story. If Salamakers starts, I'd be a little worried. And then for Inter as well, I'm just starting to see. And I don't know. This might be me being harsh, Ian, but even the Lazio goal um, against Inter at the weekend, I think you can 
kind of see Handanovic is really starting to creak a little now. Showing his age. Ouch, really? Yeah, yeah, I just think over the course of this season, there's just been more and more examples. I think maybe, I do think the Lazio one may be me being harsh because he is going one way and it takes the the massive deflection off Escalante's chest. I sort of thought that was, when I first watched that, I actually thought it was deliberate. Like they fired it at him to to send it the other way. That's exactly what I thought, because it was so bad. And I literally thought the same thing. I thought, have they worked on that? Because he's absolutely fired at him. Yeah, he really did. I I actually was going to say, I thought I was going insane when I watched it. I was like, there's no way he really did it like that. But... Hey, maybe if you thought it too, then maybe yeah. maybe I'm not so crazy. Exactly. Either it's a brilliant set piece from Inzaghi or <laughs> it's a terrible effort from Malinko Savage, whatever it was supposed to be ending up. I did like Brozovic lying down too. Always like a player. <laughs> Always like a player lying down behind a wall. <laughs> but sorry, you were going. You were you were, you were slagging off Handanovic. Well, yeah. Uh, just a little. I, I hope. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it doesn't like cost him the game or anything on Sunday. But I do think that. We're kind of seeing seeing the downturn for him now. I wouldn't be surprised. I think they've been linked with Musso at Udinese mm. recently, but it looks like Roma are actually going to get him in the summer because well, they've obviously got their own goalkeeping problems. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this is this is the last hurrah for him. Um, but Sunday, sun, yeah, big game. <sighs> don't know, don't know. You do. I love the fact that it's also at three PM on a Sunday. It just oh, gives it that real Serie A nineties feel. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's it is almost because I'd always think a game like that, San Siro Saturday night floodlights. It does. It does give it the mm-hmm. the old school flavor, I guess. Um, did you want to make a prediction that we can impale you on later? Um, a prediction yeah you, I think Inter will win 3-0 I think Inter. what 3-0 yes if, if we're going to make predictions we might as well we might <laughs> as well be bold okay. wow uh, I, a final word we, just that we are recording this ahead of uh, Juve's uh, game tonight uh, but uh, they uh, a, final, uh, a word on their performance at the, at the weekend they were really good I thought Juve that was that was just quite unlucky Um considering it was a game when it seemed like if Gattuso had lost it then he was going to lose his job as well mm-hmm. uh, yeah the the penalty was, was one of those where Chiellini's finally finding out I think that VAR could be the death of, of his kind of defenders that was one he was definitely would have got away with three, four years ago mm-hmm. whatever but he's just not getting away with it now but apart from that I thought Juve oh, they created a lot of chances some of them really good ones and um, on another day they might have won that 3-4-1 but a bit like Milan yeah they, ju- they just had an off day but it just could be a really costly one for them because they mm. can't be affording to lose much more ground especially I know something's got to give between Milan and Inter this weekend but if Inter managed to win it then Juve oh, you'd think it's it's quite a long way back it is isn't it what eight points mm-hmm. might be too much Lovely. Well, thank you very much, Porig. Thank you. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Kylie, Manu and Porig. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, should you miss us, you can listen to the back catalogue on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast hit. If you want to get in touch, the address to do so, podcast at oneFootball.com. Football.com.